0: Uh, we have two main topics uh, today. Uh, one is why do we use the uh, lamp light for Bidikat Chametz? And the second will be where is one re- required to do Bidikat, uh, where one brings uh, Chametz. Uh, that discussion will lead into a tangent about a very important principle um, that Shidoche Mitzvah and non Nizokin, someone who's on the way to do a Mitzvah, cannot be harmed. Uh, okay, you see that quoted a lot, and uh, the Talmud today will be very instructive in explaining where and when it is appropriate to apply that principle. Okay, so we begin with uh, why, why a lamp. Uh, we ended last time with giving the symbolic meaning of it. Uh, we quoted, Hashem nishmat Adam uh, that this is in a way intros- a time of introspection, that our soul is like a candle into ourselves. Uh, Hashem checking our deeds, and so when we're doing b'dichat with the lamp, we are thinking about uh, that introspection also, and thinking about to be humble and get rid of our ego, which is represented by hametz. Uh, but now we're going to get to the practical details as well of uh, why not check with sunlight? Isn't that also bright? Or with a torch? So we start with the baraita. b'anan <tans> en you may not use uh, sunlight or moonlight. Uh, today, we have a beautiful uh, new moon. Uh, still, uh, you cannot use that for and not a torch. Just a simple lamp, single flame. The reason is because it's uh, effective. It's appropriate for checking well. Even though there's no explicit verse regarding this matter, there is a hint to it. And now it'll give the list of verses we said before. We know that you have to cannot be found, cannot be found, and that word And regarding Yosef when he's checking their sacks, um, it says In the same pasuk, it says So we connect. Finding to searching. And the word searching, is found in another pasuk. And so too, Hashem will search for Jerusalem for evildoers with a candle. And also we, uh, God will search our own deeds and thoughts with the candle of our soul. Okay, so therefore, that's the derivation that we know. It's uh, more of an agada, But now we're going to focus on the halakha of it what kind of case would it, and would, would it be appropriate uh, to use sunlight to, to check maybe outdoors a courtyard taught that a courtyard does not require bidika, because even if you go and have a picnic outside and some bread falls on the floor there's no problem because the ravens will come and eat it. So you can be sure that there is no uh, hametz left in the courtyard. So you don't need the there at all. Ela <inaudible> Achsadra is a portico, which means it has a roof, but the sides are all open. And so maybe you'll eat uh, eat, out, eat out, out there. And since it's somewhat covered and uh, the ravens will not eat the hametz there. <inaudible> but I taught about that, that an outdoor portico, you can actually use sunlight. So you are permitted in some cases, to use sunlight. Obviously, this wouldn't be during the night, during bedikah t'hametz, but perhaps beforehand, um, there are other areas that you'll check beforehand. And then at night, you focus on the inside, indoors, at home. So therefore, uh, one of these cases doesn't need bidika, The other one, can you can actually use sunlight. So this that says you cannot use sunlight. What cases is it, is it prohibiting? la la de Rather, it's talking about indoors, a room that has a skylight. And the sun comes in and makes the room bright, and so I might have thought that that would be okay. And That's what what the Baraita is telling me that you cannot do that. Hold on, where are you talking about? If it's exactly right under the skylight where it has direct sunlight, that would be the same as the portico, which has sunlight coming in directly, and would be permitted rather it's talking about the side of the room that only gets indirect light from the sun. That's what it's talking about when it says um, there is some light that goes there, but you cannot use that for sunlight. It was actually very interesting. We are already now all learning uh, important exceptions to the rule uh, that uh, a place where sunlight actually um, comes directly, you would be permitted to use that light. Uh, And, you know, nowadays we have lots of windows in in our homes most of the time. In those days, they had much fewer windows. First of all, glass would be very expensive. Their windows were basically just open air that they would close up with a piece of wood. And so it would get very cold. And so um, most people only had a small window somewhere, which means even during the day, uh, it was pretty dark in their homes. Uh, So sunlight would not work for most areas of the home. Uh, But uh, in certain areas where there's direct sunlight, um, then you you could actually use sun. Uh, All right. Good. So now that we uh, we solve the sun, the moon would be we we would apply the same thing. How about Abuka? why can't you use a torch? There's a pasuk in Habakkuk <Hebrew> as describing the brightness of uh, of God's glory, which says that it is like like the light. Uh, so, Ka'or, as she explains, like the light of creation, uh, will, it will be in the end of days also, will parallel. Uh, lo, there's light all around him, all around God. And the means hidden. Ozo, and that is only, the light that you can see is only part of it. Really, God's actual strength um, is, is hidden. Uh, the point is that there is the uh, light that we can see, the light saved for Sadiqim in the future world, and that is only a small part of, the, of God's full light. That's the Pasuk. Uh, so, how can we compare the light that the Sadikim can enjoy with the actual light of Shekhinah? The ratio is like a, a lamp, uh, one, one lamp, and before a torch. Uh, so, Sadikim is just a little bit of light, is like a lamp. What's the point of quoting this? Nice midrash. But the point is that if you're gonna search for Hamas, why not use a more powerful light? Why not use something that's a torch so that you can see better and find more hames. Furthermore, so to use a torch and that is halacha, we like to use at least two wicks uh, to have a nice big fire. We're gonna say and appreciate the fire. We should use a torch. So you see that, for the, in these two teachings, a torch is better than a single wick lamp. So why not use that for b'dikat hametz as well? We're going to see four answers. Amar of Nachman bar Yisach, uh, ze yachol lachnisol lachodin velista velasedekin. Ze enoy yachol lachnisol lachodin The first, the lamp, I can. It's small. I can put, bring it into small crevices and small holes. A torch is much bigger, I won't be able to fit it into those small nooks and crannies. Second answer, The lamp uh, light goes forward, the torch goes back. I think what this means is when you have a torch, your eyes end up being dilated. And so you cannot actually see that much around the torch. It kind of uh, sucks in all the the, the view. Whereas a small lamp uh, will give you just enough light so that you can see. Uh, pinpoint where you want to see and be able to see actually better in front of you it says well, one of them uh, the torch causes fear are you carrying a torch around you're going to be afraid the house is going to burn down so you're not going to want to bring it to all the rooms and everywhere whereas the the single flame you will not be afraid and then you'll actually do a better job looking all around uh, the single flame lamp has a nice, uh, smooth light, whereas the flame dances around, fluctuates, and actually makes it more difficult to see. You think you see something, but maybe it's just the light flickering. And for all those reasons, better to have a nice small light that is safe, and uh, that you can direct and pinpoint and find hames better. Okay, good. So those are all the reasons. So now we finished with the, uh, the reason why we use a lamplight. And now we're going to go to the places of where we need to. The Mishnah says that any place that you don't bring chametz, normally, you don't have to do b'dikat chametz. You don't have to check your, you know, your boiler room. You don't bring chametz down there. So, ko makom, So since the Mishnah, I'll show you the Mishnah here, right, it says, doesn't say, uh, to say makom sheen machnisin, as the word ko we're treating the Mishnah almost like it's a level of Pisukim, that we're gonna make a diyuk. Why add the extra word, all places? What is it coming to include? So It's coming to include the, the list of items in the following baraita chore bait va tahtonim. If you have a wall, a wall is packed with holes all around. So the holes that are mid level, so people would uh, put store things in those holes. But one that's very high or very low are hard to get to. It's like, you know, when you have a bunch of lockers, everybody wants the middle locker, right? Nobody wants the top locker, the bottom locker, very hard to use. And uh, therefore, um, no one stores things on the holes all the way on the bottom of a wall. So you don't even have to check them. You're not going to put your hamets there. Also, uh, the roof of a shed, which are sloped. Most of their homes had flat roofs, which they would use, they would go up there, they would put fruit out there, they'd hang out. But a shed has a slanted roof, so you're not going to put anything on a, on a shed. Or if you have a closet, like an amour, it has a slanted roof, no one puts anything up there. Also, a cow shed or a chicken coop, um, there might be chametz in there, but surely the cows and the chickens will eat any chametz that's in there. Uh, so you don't have to check them. Umat ben, the place where you store hay, you store hay, sh- hey, straw, you don't store chametz. ya'in, the shemen, store of wine and oil also, you don't store chametz in there, it's only for wine and oil, so you don't need to check them. And serichin bedika. Rabban Shimon ben mita if I have a bed in the middle of a room that is, acts as a divider, that's dual duty, um, that's uh, the, the setup of the room. So the bed is in the middle and it has space underneath. Um, so since it's the middle of the room and it's accessible, the space underneath is useful. And I might store some bread uh, under, the, under, under there, save, save for later. Maybe I forgot it there, but I have to do bedika in such a case. Good. So this bada gives a list of things that you do not do not need bidika, and then the one item that does require bidika. Fine, that's clear enough. But we have a contradictory, seemingly contradictory badah. ad let's say I share a wall, a wall with my neighbor and has holes in it, and some of the holes go all the way through from my house to the neighbor's house. So I have to uh, check inside that hole up to where my arm reaches. Um, And the other person on the other side, assuming he's Jewish, well, check his side of the wall, I guess it's a very thick wall, until his hand can reach. Any space left over in between, it has to be tall, you can't reach there anyway. The truth is, how would you ever put something in there if you can't reach? You don't have to worry that there, uh, whatever hametz happened to fall into it. So here you see a case of a wall where you do have to check. Um, So this seems to contradict the first Mishnah, uh, the first Beraita that said you don't have to check certain areas of a wall, uh, the top and the bottom. Okay, the answer is pretty obvious, but well, let's go step by step. So, Rashbag adds, if you have a bed that divides, as a, also acts as a room divider. And underneath the bed, I put wood and rocks. Um, and there's umafseket. And there's a little bit of space uh, still left over between the rocks I put there and the bed. I don't have to do bedikat chames in that case. Good. So now we have these two bedaitot that are talking about slightly different cases. Let's try to reconcile them achorin, two questions. The first uh, Mishnah was uh, was lenient regarding holes. The second Mishnah said, second Baratah said, I have to check the holes, but as put my hand in as far as it can go. Uh, then also a question on the, um, the, the under the bed. The first one, Rashbag says, I have to check under the bed. The second one, he said, I don't have to check under the bed. So which is it? The answer, Okay, when we said you do have to check, right, as far as your hand can go, um, that's what, that was talking about the ones that are mid-range, and so that's what I have to check. And the first barayatah that says high and low, that's one that said you don't have to check because they're high and low and they're not useful. Okay, that's actually quite explicit. Um, the mita we don't have to question that either the beds uh, so the one that said you do have to check that is raised off the ground. there's a lot of space there and so that would be conducive to storing uh, maybe a bottle of beer or something. and the other one where there's already I'm already storing some wood and rocks there there's only a little bit of space so it's not conducive to put it, using for storage and therefore um, I do not have to check. Okay, wonderful. Now the Braita also mentioned Osrot yain and Sarich Bedika and is that true that we don't have to check a storehouse of wine? Vatanya, Osrot Yayin Sarich Bedika Osrot Shemen Bedika Another Braita, they made a distinction that said wine storage does need Bedika only oil storage room does not need Bedika The answer is it depends on whether I access it regularly during the meal or not. So when we said that you don't have to check osodot yain, that was the previous baraita, that's talking about one that's put away for long-term storage and I don't access it. This here is talking about one that in the middle of the meal, I might say, hey, you know what? I'd like some more wine and I'll carry my sandwich down to the, uh, to, the, to the wine cellar. I'll put it down to get more wine and maybe I'll forget a piece of bread there. So therefore, since I use it, I access it during the meal that's why I have to check on it. Uh, so we ask, if that's the case, then why not oil also? Oil is something that we use during a meal. So why don't I have to why don't I have to check the oil storage closet? Shemen yesh The reason is because oil, we know how much oil the uh, guests are are going to consume during a meal. There's a standard amount. So beforehand, uh, the the chef will go get the oil. And that's, you know, you covered for the meal, um, whatever using it for dressing, cooking, whereas wine, you never know how much people are going to want to drink. And so in the middle of the thing, they might say, oh, let's get some more wine. And so therefore we do access the wine during the meal. We do not access oil uh, during the meal. Okay, this uh, is this a place where we store oil. reminds me of another story. You know, the uh, Aleppo Codex uh, was uh, stored in the great synagogue in uh, Aleppo for 600 years. For some of that time, it actually was stored in the room where they kept the oil, uh, the, the, the burning oil. And then one time, there was a fire um, that almost, uh, almost damaged the Aleppo Codex. And so then they realized that that is not a good place to store it, and they moved it to the uh, Cave of Eliyahu room, where it was then more recently. Um, OK, uh, just a piece of trivia there. Uh, OK, good. So Tener so he adds that in Babel, in, in Israel, they used to drink wine a lot. Uh, wine was almost the, the, the normal drink. It was like uh, drinking juice. They would um, put some wine in their water to kill the, uh, the germs. Um, so in, in Babel, they normally drank Shechad, uh, a beer, during a meal. And so therefore, for them, the beer storage closet, but also needed because they normally went and accessed the beer uh, during meals. Now, I know what you're thinking, beer itself is hamet. So what do you mean check the beer storage? Don't you have to get rid of all of the beer? It seems that they did not drink barley beer, but rather date beer. And so the beer itself was Pesach. only worried about something else. I'm not sure what date beer is. And if anybody's ever, have, ever drank anything like that, let me know. OK says the place where you store the fish. I assume it's like salted fish, so it stays good, um, and you store it. Uh, so you do not do not need to. You don't bring uh, food in there. Uh, you just access it to take food out. We have another Braita though. We have a Braita against that says you do need to check the fish storeroom. It's not a problem but one's talking about large fish. The large fish, you do not have to check because you go in and you say, you know, you take a big piece of fish. So that'll be the main meal and you know how many you're gonna eat. Whereas the small fish during the the middle of the meal, someone might say, hey, get some more of those sardines, more like a side dish and appetizer. And you always never know how many people are going to want. And since you access it during the meal, uh, the person who goes to get it, might bring chametz into the storeroom. Good. A place where you store the salt and where you store the uh, uh, store the wax. Um, you do require bedika because often during the meal you'll go and get more salt or get some more uh, wax for candles. Uh, so you'd have to do bedika there. Papa be sibe, bedika. The place where you store wood or dates also requires, right? I mean, uh, with, uh, all, all year long, Anytime during the week, during the week, you might need more wood for the fire, and so might be during the meal, you, see, you might bring hametz in those places. But. Okay, so now we get to uh, this very interesting topic. So um, let's say there's a the hole in the wall, um, and who knows, maybe you one time stored some hamesh in there and forgot about it. This Tosefta says you are not required to stick your hand inside that crevice um, to check for hamesh because of danger. Now, what danger are we talking about? We're going to see two answers. Here's number one. So perhaps you're going to say it's because of a scorpion. Like this, this is some interesting uh, trivia about a quarter of species that are known to us are uh, are poisonous. Um, so you, may, you might be afraid and there'll be a scorpion in there. So as, poor, as important as bidikat hametz is, you don't have to risk your life uh, for it. So, but the question on that is, wait a second, how did you get the hametz in there in the first place? I mean, if it's dangerous to stick your hand in, then why would you stick your hand in to, to uh, put your sandwich in there to hide it? Maybe uh, maybe they're sticking their cake in it to hide it from their kid, from the kids, right? So if it was so dangerous and you're worried about scorpions, you wouldn't use it in the first place, and therefore I, you wouldn't need to teach that you don't need to because you don't bring chametz there. So la Oh, it must be a case where the chametz fell there by mistake. It was walking by and it fell. I didn't put it in there intentionally. All right, inafal bedika um, so, but then it wouldn't need, wouldn't require because uh, we have a Mishnah, that's coming up uh, soon. Um, uh, Hametz that fell, this, this fell must be that actually the, the wall fell upon it. So if I have Hametz and the wall falls down and it's under rubble, then that's as if it's been removed. I don't have to do with bur- 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 Hametz. Any Hametz that's not, not accessible to me, um, it's as if it's gone. And so, if you're talking about a case where the wall fell down, then I don't have to do Bidika either. We <inaudible> make a distinction that says the wall fell down, you don't have to do Bidika. That's talking about where it fell down totally. And even a dog wouldn't be able to recover the hames. Our case is talking about a, about a case where there was a hole in the wall, and I put some chametz. there was some chametz there and it partially fell. And so uh, now that it partially fell, um, the scorpions are more likely to be there. And uh, do I have to, I, I can't, it is somewhat accessible, so I might have had to do bedikah. Because I'm afraid of scorpions, that's why I don't have to. Okay, so now we understand, but whatever, there's some kind of case, right, where uh, somehow the chamez got there, but now it's a dangerous hole, and uh, I might have thought I have to, I have to take it out, if you're afraid of scorpions, and don't put your hand in and do not take it out. Okay, good. And now we ask our question. Azad has this uh, statement that if you're on your way, if you're doing a misvah, then you will not be harmed. So therefore, I'm doing I'm doing misvah, but is So therefore, I, can I be guaranteed that I will not come to harm. I don't have to worry about it. even the scorpions there. I could put my hand right in, right? Answer is, no. Ravashe says, yes, it's true. While you're doing a mitzvah, and yes. But maybe your intention will be for two things. I'm doing a mitzvah to find the chametz. But you know what? One time happened to be, I also uh, dropped a needle in there. And while I'm at it, let me go and find that needle. My, maybe my remote control fell there one time, and I've never looked for it. So now I'm going to find that. There's not, it's not a mitzvah to find the needle. And so you're, you may get uh, injured because your intention is also to do something that is not a mitzvah. So now a very interesting tangent. right? What is the, person, the status of a person who does something for two reasons at the same time? One is a good reason, and one is um, a mundane reason. Okay, love So we wonder, wait, if I do something for both reasons, are you telling me that that nullifies? It's not a good, not a considered misfa anymore. Someone says, I'm going to give this uh, coin to sedaka so that my son will will get better, or so that I will get merit for the world to come. So he's giving sadaqah, he's giving it's true, that, that is a mitzvah, but he's doing it for an ulterior motive. He's doing it for his own uh, personal benefit. So is that really considered a mitzvah? Well, the statement, uh, the sadik says, This is a full-fledged, totally righteous person. So what do you see from here? That if someone has dual motivation, even if they're doing something for selfish interest, if it's also a mitzvah, we consider it a, a, a mitzvah. And therefore, here also, when a person puts his hand in to look for the needle and also for the Chametz, doesn't matter that he has an ulterior motive for it to find the needle. Since he's doing a Mitzvah also, we consider it a Mitzvah. Uh, so the answer is Dilma batal De Now maybe it wasn't at the same time. Maybe he put his hand in, he found the Chametz. And then he said, Oh, while I'm here, let me look for my remote control. So you already performed the Mitzvah, that's done. And now you're going to go and look for other things that might have fallen in there and that is not a mitzvah and you will come to harm. That's why we have to make sure that a person does not do, um, does not find, uh, does not look for chames at all. Um, Don't do bedika for that reason. Okay, this is a very, very interesting principle. Yeah? Seems like a superstition. Oh yeah, the superstition is coming up. Well, no, it's actually being very safe. You know, don't, 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 uh, uh, don't, don't, don't put yourself in dangerous situations. Right. uh, My my brother was doing, I just, uh, was, went to um, say Kaddish for my mother and it was January, February and he fell and broke his hip and needed surgery and went to the hospital. There was definitely not, I mean, so. Right. Okay. Uh, well, that, well, there's another limitation soon. Uh, um, so yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. So this is not something that you want to rely on on a regular basis for sure. Right. right. Um, okay, uh, good. A, a side point here is Tosafot asks a question. You, we just said that someone who gives sadaqah for ulterior motives is called sadiq amur. But this seems to contradict the Mishnah and Perkavot that says you should not be like a servant that serves his master in order to receive, to receive reward. Right? Rather, we should do mitzvot for their own sake. And reward comes, that's a side point. But we like doing it for its own sake. You know, If you uh, ask your son, hey, can you please give me a cup of water? And he says, uh, um, what are you going to give me if I, uh, if I get it for you? Right? What kind of thing is that? Uh, um, right? We do it for its own sake. So. That is, should be considered not tzaddik amur if he only does something for an ulterior motive. That's Tosafos' question. And they have a very nice answer. They say that, um, well, ask the, ask the person. Let's say, I say I'm going to give $100 so that the, this person will uh, get better who's sick. And let's say they don't get better, right? And uh, it doesn't work. Now, do I feel bad that I gave the money in the first place? Am I going to call the charity and say, I want my money back. It didn't work. Right, person didn't uh, didn't get a foie. So not uh, nobody does that. Obviously, people are you have you've seen people do that, Dave? No, you're nodding like I know someone that did that. Um, so no, nobody does that, right? Rather, uh, you give charity, you know, you want to support the cause while you're doing that. You say, I hope this will be in the merit of a, of a person that they should also get better. But that's not really your primary motivation. So therefore, that's why the this um. Abu is talking about still sadika you He's still doing good deed, and and hopefully that's what you have in mind as well. Okay, uh, it's like when Larry David donates the the hospital wing, right? And uh, he puts his name on it, and his friend puts anonymous, but tells everybody he's anonymous. Is he I don't know. You could be anonymous and tell everybody. So then he changed it to anonymous, and he tells everyone. All right, it's so, okay if you're, uh, your intention is to support the cause. And you also have your name on it. Maybe it'll encourage other people also to, to, to give more, right? So multiple motivations are still still considered okay as long as your main motivation is to uh, is for the mitzvah. Okay, good. So that was that was uh, one answer, and now a second answer. Uh, why? What is called the sakana? We said don't put your hand in the, into the wall because of danger. What's the danger? Rav Nachman bar Mishum sakanat goyim. So we're talking about danger from non-Jews, and it's the opinion of Pelimo. Um, Okay, Uh, Pelimo's interesting character uh, on his own, there's some uh, beautiful agada about him, Uh, okay, but for a different time. So the Breita says, that if you have a hole that's between in your wall between where you live your room and a Nanju an Aramean uh, lives next door and the hole goes all the way through so the first opinion says I can check to where uh, as, long, as far as my hand arm reaches and the rest I don't have to care about that says they say it's allowed Plimo, however says do not do that do not check at all because of danger what danger my sakana so what kind of danger? Perhaps it's danger of witchcraft. In other words, um, when, I, when I put my hand in, especially with my lamp, the guy on the other side is going to see me doing something in, in the hole, and he's going to be suspicious. Says, What's this Jew doing putting his hand in and with a flame in the hole and into, my, into my room? Maybe he's trying to curse me, he's trying to cast some kind of spell on me. And if the non-Jew suspects the Jew of uh, casting on a spell upon him, then the non-Jew will retaliate and come um, and, uh, and cause violence to the Jew. That's the danger that we're talking about. Okay, um, so if that's the case, then hold on, how did he use the pole in the first place? When he went and put chametz in there? And we have the same problem, danger that the nangul is going to see. oh He's putting something in the hole. He's trying to curse me, so a person wouldn't put the hametz there in the first place. So why would I think? Why would I need to check it? Now, during uh, when I put the hametz there, I was during the day and it was light, and so well, don't do witchcraft in the during the day, so the nangul wouldn't uh, have a problem with that. But here at night, I'm using a candle and I'm not sure exactly how this witchcraft works, but there's rules about it. And so that's, that's the case where the Nanju would suspect that the Jew was making a curse and he then he would retaliate. Um, and so therefore, if you share, uh, when, so therefore the Barata says, don't, you, don't, you don't have to check this hole in the wall. It's talking about this case where you share the wall with the nanju and you have to be afraid of, this, uh, of retaliation. Okay, <laughs> now we ask the same question. I thought you said, if I'm doing misvah, I'm doing so I don't have to worry about the non what he thinks, and what he might retaliate. So there's a very, very important limitation on this principle. Anytime that danger is likely to happen, if it's a commonplace thing, and that's different. You do not apply the principle in that case. So, for example, if there's a worldwide pandemic, um, then we do not say, "Oh well, we can uh, we can uh, uh, still come to bet knesset and uh, and pack everybody in without masks because we're doing a mitzvah." Right? If uh, if the danger is likely to happen, if it's all over the place, then this principle does not apply, and therefore we should make sure, even while we're doing a mitzvah, on the way to do a mitzvah. To take all precautions and keep ourselves and everybody around us safe. Um, so we learn this, where do we learn this from? Uh, an amazing story regarding Shemuel. Uh, Hashem comes and tells Shemuel, go and anoint David to be the next king. Shemuel tells God, wait, how can I go? Sha'ul, the previous, the current king, is going to hear about it. He's going to say, hey, Shemuel, where are you going? He's going to say, I'm going to appoint David as the next king. He says, what? <laughs> he's going to get angry, and he's going to, he's going to he'll harm Shemuel. He'll kill him, right? So I, how can I go? So Hashem's advice is, uh, use uh, an excuse. Take a calf with you. And then, if anybody asks you, you say, oh, I'm taking this calf to Bethlehem. I'm going to make a, ma- uh, uh, to make a sacrifice there. I'm going to invite some people. We're going to make a, a nice uh, ceremony. Um, so he's not lying, because he'll do that also. But he has to hide the fact that he's actually going to anoint David. Um, it's an amazing thing, because even Hashem says, don't worry, I'll protect you. So here, Shemuel is going to do a mitzvah. But yet, yet he doesn't say, oh, I'm doing the mitzvah. I'll be protected. It's no problem. No, even when you're going to do, do mitzvah, you still take all the precautions that you would normally take when you're traveling some, from someplace. Okay, so I think, I think now we have these two limitations and we can uh, put this principle into perspective. The point is, you know, it's encouraging people to go and do mitzvah, but obviously uh, safety, um, safety comes first. Uh, okay, good. Rabbi, yep. do, we, do we know, is there a reason why they specified an Aramean is it, is it just like? No, they, I think that's just their way of saying uh, non-Jew. Uh, anybody, anybody. Okay. Um. Yeah. Why you hack Sometimes they say Nochri, and sometimes Goy, and sometimes. Uh, um, uh, yeah, just here terms. it's a specific. It's a specific nationality. That's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why specifically uh, an Aramean here. You I mean because of the uh, uh, the 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 magic? Maybe. Uh, Certain people that believe in certain kinds of magic? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know if it had anything because it sounds a little bit like Ramai, like a trickster. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Cool. Um all right. Uh good question. Uh they asked uh, the the sages asked the question of Rav. So now that we're thinking about this principle that you don't have to worry about danger when you're going away to do a mitzvah, what do you do with these students who live, they live out in the field and they come during the day to study in the city. They do a re- reverse commute. Most people, they live in the city and they go out to the field to work. And so they, um, since they live in the field and they want to wake up early before, before uh, dawn to come to the Bed Midrash and they want to learn till late uh, into the night and they were going to return home while it's night out. Now, traveling outside the city at night is very dangerous. There's robbers, there's animals. And so the question came to Rav what do you think? Uh, can, sh- can we travel at night uh, to and from the Bet Midrash? He says, Coming to the Bet Midrash, you can rely on me. Don't worry, you come to the Bet Midrash early, even before dawn. And I will take responsibility for your safety. In other words, you're coming. You're on the way to, to come to the bet midrash. Everything's good. Nezel But how about going back home? When you're going back home, then you're leaving the bet midrash. Now you're not on the way to uh, to to do a misfah. So, as the protection still work? lehu I didn't know the answer. Itamar um, Amar Rabbi Elazar Lo Hold on, we, we can have an answer from the full statement that Rabbi Elazar says, uh, those who go to do a misva are not harmed on the way there and on the way back. Because if they might be harmed on the way back, they're not gonna to want to go in the first place. This is like Hatzalah drivers. If you say, okay, you can go and save someone on Shabbat, but then you can't go back home. You have to stay in the hospital. They're not gonna to want to go in the first place. Therefore, we say they can come back home. So, uh, so here you go. See, he said on the way back too. So there, that would solve the problem of Rav and that they could go back home even if it's late. Keman, hi haitana ditanya. Isi ben Yehuda omer pe she'amra Torah velo yachmod ish et arsecha, melamed shetehe paratcha roa ben hayam chaya mezikata. Tanagolatcha menakeret veashpah, and holodam mazikata. So this opinion here to be Azaru says, even on the way home, you'll be safe. This is following the following beraita. The beraita is talking about when people would go on pilgrimage, they would all go to Jerusalem. So what's going to happen? Uh, all the men and the women, children, they all pack up and they go to Jerusalem. And who's left behind? It'd be uh, infirm people, old people, they can't make the trip. So now what's going to happen if you leave the cities all devoid of most of the people? Well, animals are going to come, enemies are going to come, and they're going to 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 uh, to take everything in the city. So this could be very dangerous. And therefore, the Torah and Sefer Shemot says, Don't worry. You can come to to the Bet Hamikdash and come uh, on the holiday, and your land will be safe. No one will yachmod. No one will covet your land when you go. Um, now, from the extra word ish et that extra word "et," we learn that even your cows that will go and, and graze in the meadow, wild animals will not come and bother them. And your roosters that are that are going around and eating uh, whatever is in the garbage, huldah Hulda is translated, uh, could be a marten or a certain type of rat or a weasel. Uh, one of these uh, kinds of rodents will not come and harm the rooster. So you're safe from uh, from physical, from uh, human enemies, and also say from animal enemies. Okay. Now, if animals where they, they don't get their own protection, their I mean, animals are just, uh, domestic animals are open to harm, and they won't be, they will not be harmed. So, so and then uh, people also, People, all the more so, people who can protect themselves, people who have who have uh, providence on their side, all the more so, they will not be harmed. When on the way there, on the way back, only the Balicha. I only really know on the way there. How about after the holidays over, and now you're on your way back home? Maybe now you're not going to do a Now you're just returning home. Are you, is the protection force field still in force? So, different Pasuk in the says that after you do Koban then you go back to your Ohel. Everybody goes back. So, saying that, it's that you should go back, the um, Ohalecha, and everything will be safe when you go. So, therefore, you see from this um, extended Baraita that not only on the way to Mitzvah, but also on the way home, uh, there is protection. Okay, good. Now we have a question. Since the second pasuk t- teaches me that on the way home I'm protected, why do I even need the first pasuk to tell me that on the way there I'm protected? If on the way home I'm protected, all the more so on the way there. teaches a different law that the only people who are required have a mitzvah, they, they have to have to go on, on pilgrimage, are the landowners. They have land, they come, they bring their Bikurim, they, uh, and uh, they have to come to Jerusalem. But if the person is not a landowner, then they are not obligated to come. And that's what the first mitzvah is saying, your land will be protected. The point is you own land, and that's why you would need to come. All right, so that uh, that ends that uh, fascinating and important discussion. And now uh, something else about those who make a pilgrimage. Amar bi'Abin bar Rav Ada, Amar bi'Isaac. Me'peni ma en perod ginosar bi'Yerushalayim k'desh shelo yihu oleh degalim omrim el maleh lo alinu Ela le'achol perod ginosar bi'Yerushalayim dayenu imset aliyah shelo lishma. This relates not only to pilgrimage but also doing things for ulterior motives. Uh, so the question is this Perot Ginosad. Ginosad is a town up in the Galilee. Uh, you can go there today there's a uh, kibbutz around Ginosad and it's well known and nowadays it's, uh, it only gets tourism. Um, but back then it was known for the amazing fruits that grew there that were bigger and sweeter than all other fruits. And the question is if these beautiful fruits why isn't Jerusalem blessed with uh, to have them? Why are they up in the Galilee? And the answer is so that those who come on the pilgrimage to come for the for Hag, the they won't say, uh, they'll come for the fruit, and they'll eat the fruit and say, oh, if we came to Jerusalem just for the fruit, that would be enough. And so they would come for ulterior motives and not come because of the mitzvah itself. And therefore, those uh, fruits do not grow in Jerusalem. This is very applicable today, because sometimes today, people come to Jerusalem for Pesach, for Sukkot, They stay in the King David Hotel and they get the amazing breakfast and the cheese and the dates and the yogurts and and the warm chocolate cake. I don't know who eats warm chocolate cake for for breakfast. I still haven't figured that one out, right? But maybe they'll say, oh, see, it's a good thing we came to Jerusalem so that we can get the uh, King David breakfast. But then they're coming for ulterior motives. So therefore, uh, you should make sure, you know, not to come only for that reason. Uh, You should make sure to come for the mitzvah uh, itself. Um, and then also while you're there, you can appreciate the beautiful uh, land, of milk and honey and wonderful fruits that are there as well. Okay, good. Similarly, uh, these uh, hot springs of Tiberias, these natural hot springs, I'm sure a lot of people have been there. Why aren't they in Jerusalem? So that the people that come to Jerusalem can enjoy them. The same reason that they shouldn't come and say, oh, this is a good thing we came to Jerusalem just for these hot springs. And then they'll do it, be doing it not for the mitzvah, but for ulterior motives. And therefore um, they are located in Tiberias and not in Jerusalem. All right, uh, we finished with that beautiful agadah. Now we're just gonna end with uh, the next section of the Mishnah, we can, we can complete the, this Mishnah. Okay, the Mishnah, if you remember, said that any place that you do not bring chametz, you don't have to do bedikah. And then they say, amru?" why did they say two rows in the wine cellar? A place where you do bring chametz. And then they talk about what is the wine cellar? Uh, you know, what are the two rows? And so uh, the question is here, who, who mentioned anything about a wine cellar that they're asking, and what about the two rows of the wine cellar? Generally, a wine cellar, you would assume you don't have to do bidikah because you don't bring chametz there. So why is the Mishnah now all of a sudden assuming, right? We saw an in introduction that this Lama Amadou is quoting an ancient Torah Shabbat And they say, why do they say that? Because it's contradictory to the basic principle. Any place that you don't bring chametz, you don't have to check. So then, oh, why did they, they say? this law about the martef. Okay, so that's what the Gamal is going to explain now. I don't bring chames there, I don't have to bedika. And the basic law is a, a storage place of wine or oil. You don't have to check. And that which they did teach, when in some cases you have to check the two rows in the cellar, that's talking about where I access it during the meal. Um, and therefore, the person that goes and gets it might bring Chametz and forget it there. And that's, that's the case I have to check. Good. Uh, so, Betshami says two rows is exact words, up in a, uh, uh, two rows upon the entire wine cellar. And bet says, Only the two rows that are outer and upper. Oh, so let's try to figure out what they mean by that. There's a Machloket. The first opinion of Yudah says, two rows means, picture is worth a thousand words here. Uh, two rows means this, this entire front and the one behind it, right? So two entire uh, rows going in. According to Bi'ochanan, that means two rows means one in front and one on top. This picture is a mistake. Has a mistake in it. Should not be the second one here, but rather one one vertical and one horizontal. Those are the two opinions. Um, where we saw that uh, that Eretz has this interpretation: uh, one horizontal and one vertical. And Ravina continues, actually quoting a uh, sefta, but also another Beraita. Tanya kevateid Rabiu da, Tanya kevateid Rabbi These two Amoraim each have a Beraita from the Tanaim that supports their opinion. Let's read them. Tanya kevateid Rabiu da, bet shema amirim shete shurot al pene kol amartef, uste shurot sheme ad sheme sheme kora. So it's two rows from the floor up to the ceiling, two rows deep. Uh, that's so only the front one and the top one, but not the one that's behind them or under them. Okay, good. So that was Bet shamai We're going to end with Bet Hillel. He says only the front ones that are, that are on top. Rav says, it's talking about the top one and the one right under it. Is the top one and the one right behind it. Here's the picture. This is Rav, right? The top front one and the one right under. And uh, Shimel says, the top one and the one inside behind it. That second one there. Okay. And they also have, uh, uh, they also have, uh, first, why? My Tama. Why does Rav say the, the front ones? Because it says the ones in the front, outside. But also says above. So I wouldn't think that's talking about the ones all the way on the bottom. So it's the two rows, the top one and the one under it, but it's the upper ones. Why does Rav well say the top one and the one behind it? It says top, so it has to be all the way on top. Or what about also says front. So what does that mean? That's to exclude the ones all the way in the back. So that's what I have to tell you, not the ones all in the back, but the first, the top two rows, the front one and the one going in. Okay. So regarding the baraytot, the is the only one that has a baraytot that supports it. All the other tanaim, all the other memorizers, these professional memorizers, and remember, remember it all the bit I thought, they all said like, like Shemuel. Hilcheta halacha follows Dishmuel, should follow Shemuel. That's the end of the daf. Or well, one more point is that Rambam says Pesach like in this case, which is kind of surprising because the final word is which shows that most likely um, Rambam did not have these last three words in his version of the Talmud. And often what happens is the Hilchata at the end of a sugya is actually something that is added on later in times of Ge'onim or, uh, or even later um, by others who just want to put a gloss into the manuscript. This is, by the way, this is the Halakha. But they are not authoritative because they're not from the time of the Moraim themselves. And that's why since Lambam probably didn't have those words, he actually says, Pesach is like Rav. Amen